Church, are you glad to be here this morning? Three of you are. I am glad to hear that. At least I will preach to three. Just kidding. I'm glad that you're here. I love Christmas. Christmas is my seriously favorite time of the year. Possibly because I like presents, but possibly because I really just enjoy the, the happiness. It's just kind of a natural thing. You just are naturally happy during Christmas time, right? Okay, so just so you know, for this to work, you got to give me a little bit, just a little bit, every now and again. Not all the time, but just a little bit. You know, at Christmas time, I, it's always the time that we are spending time with our families. And uh, with Sally's family, we kind of had to flip-flop Thanksgiving and Christmas a lot of times. But I have developed this character that I developed with my kids, and I have taken it into Sally's family because of my nieces and nephews, and it's, a, it's called Crazy Uncle Joe. Now, you're not going to see Crazy Uncle Joe, because I enjoy my job, and I don't want to change your opinion of me, but it's something silly that I do. It's just, it's a weird character, and my youngest niece, Lucy, who really didn't like me at first, but she's finally warming up to me, but when she sees Crazy Uncle Joe, she cackles, and it's so good. It's, it, it brings a belly laugh to me because she thinks it's hilarious and it's the dumbest thing you've ever seen and you're not going to see it. But we all have that one family member, right? We all have that one family member when you go to a family reunion or you go to a, an outing with your family or a birthday party or something, you always have that one family member that you're like, oh man, what are they going to be like today? Come on. Like, I know I'm not the only one. Usually I'm that one for my family when they're coming. They're like, oh man, what's that pastor going to do now? But we all have that one family member that's just kind of out there a little bit. And you hope that they don't go out very much, that they don't have a lot of interaction with the public because you don't want your name to be attached to that family member. Now that sounds really bad, but we all do it. So let's not pretend that I'm the bad guy up here, that I'm a horrible pe- person we all have that person that we're just a little bit gun-shy around, that we just kind of keep our, a little bit of distance. And we hope that it doesn't define who we are, that it doesn't define our family. Or maybe it's a co-worker, because I know you got one of them. He doesn't work for me, just so you know. But Charlie, I'm impressed you didn't say amen. Is that because you're retiring soon? That's what I figured. Hey, I will not tell Tim that you said that. So, we all have it. We all have that one person. Well, did you know that in the genealogy of Jesus, he's got a few of his own? I bet you didn't know that. Because we think it's Jesus. His lineage has to be perfect. There's no way that God would allow some random family member to have a bad reputation or a bad name to be in the genealogy of Jesus. But did you know there are actually five women, not counting all the men that are in there, that have some bad reputation? Now, mostly in a genealogy, you don't hear about the women. It's usually just the the men's names that are included. But in Jesus' genealogy... There are five women that are specifically named, and their pasts are a little different. Not to mention the men. I mean, we know David. David's got a little bit of a weird past. 
And there, Abraham, he's got a little, little bit of a weird path. We've got plenty of guys in there as well. So please don't leave here, husband, saying, oh yeah, wife, did you hear that? He was really talking about the women today. Hold your phone. It's not what I'm doing. But there are so many times in our lives that we look back at our past and we try to let our past define who we are today. Did you hear that? We look back at our past of things that we did in high school or in college or mistakes. And so many times we are known by those because we allow people to hold that over us or even ourselves hold on to them so tightly that we try to define who we are based on our past. What if Jesus had done that? What if Jesus had looked back and said, wait a second, they're in my genealogy? Well, I can't do what I'm going to do. I can't be all that my father wants me to be because this person or this person is in there. He never addressed it. Why? Because he was not letting his past define who he was today. And there's a lot of our pasts that are out of our control. I'm talking hundreds of years away from us that still define who we are today because the world says that's who you are. Can I just address that for a quick second? If you are a follower of Christ, that past no longer defines who you are because it is Christ and what he is bringing that absolutely defines who you are. And I realize that may not be super exciting to some of us. That may be very hard for some of us to swallow. But the sooner we can get to the idea that I am defined by my adoption into the family of Christ and not defined by what the world says my past should be, the world may be a totally different place. And so we all have that issue in our family. We all have that past instance in our lives that we want to define us. And the reality is it should never define us. And throughout scripture, we find many people, many stories who were used by God, who were both bad and good. Pharaoh, Pharaoh was used by God and Pharaoh was a nasty man. He treated the, um, the Israelites horribly, but God used him to free them. There are plenty of stories like that all throughout Scripture. And yet, what do we like to do in our lives? We like to look at the bad. We want to look at the negative. We want to look at the thing that a lot of times are out of our control, and we want to hold on to that. And Christ is saying, whoa, stop. Stop. Stop looking at what was totally out of your control that you actually had nothing to do with. And look at what I'm offering you. Look at what I can do for you. Christ did not look at his sordid past, at his genealogy, at his family, and say, because of them, I can't do what God's calling me to do. I can't do what my father has put me on this earth to do. He didn't do that. He said, you know what? In spite of that, I'm going to do what is right. And I'm going to be my father's follower. I'm going to follow him all the way through. Let's go to Matthew chapter 1, and let's look at the genealogy of Jesus. Now, it's going to be a lot of weird names in here. <coughs> I'm going to try to get through it the best that I can, so don't laugh too much. But in Matthew chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 1, we're going to read all the way through to verse 17, and it says this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Here's where it starts. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, Jacob begot Judah and his brothers, Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar, first lady. That's the first lady that's mentioned. And we'll talk about her story. If you don't know the story of Tamar, 
If you like a good soap opera, this is it. Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Abinadab. Abinadab begot Nashon. Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. We know what comes after Rahab. Rahab the harlot. That's in the genealogy of Jesus. And if you think that one's bad, wait till you hear Tamar. Tamar is pretty rough. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Now, Ruth is a phenomenal story. It's a great story. But Ruth was not even an Israelite. She wanted nothing to do with God at first because of her upbringing, but because of her marriage to this man, her heart changed. She wanted to follow God. She wanted to find something different. And then she lost her husband, but stayed with her mother-in-law and then moved on and married Boaz. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. This, I can't wait to get back to that part. That blew our mind as to why. We know who that is. What's her name? Bathsheba. Why is her name not listed there? Was it that bad that her name can't even be listed? Wait till we uncover why her name isn't there. Phenomenal. I'm trying not to get ahead of myself, but can you tell how excited I am about this? This is good stuff. <clears throat> Solomon begat Rehoboam. Rehoboam begat Abijah. Abijah begat Asa. Asa begat Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat begat Joram. Joram begot Uzziah. Uzziah begot uh, Jotham. Jotham begot Ahaz. Ahaz, which we all know Ahaz. Ahaz begot Hezekiah. Hezekiah begot Manasseh, Manasseh begot Ammon, and Ammon begot Josiah. Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. That's when they were carried into captivity. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot um, Shealtiel. Shealtiel begot Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel begot Abiud. Abiud begot uh, Eliakim. Eliakim begot Azor. Anybody getting baby names yet? Azor begot Zadok, Zadok begot Achim, Achim begot Iliad, Iliad begot Eliezer, Eliezer begot uh, Methan, Methan begot Jacob, Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who was called Christ. That's a lot. That's his genealogy, start to finish, when the Israelites were born through Abraham, now we get all the way to where Jesus is adopted into this family, because remember, it's not Joseph's bloodline per se. Because Mary was pregnant with Jesus before Mary and Joseph knew each other. Watch verse 17. This is intriguing. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. Not a big deal. 14. It's twice the special number of seven, right? But watch this. From David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. Now that's just a coincidence. That the first section of names were 14 generations and then up to Babylon's 14 generations. But watch this. And from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ, Jesus, are 14 generations. Jesus is intentional, in, or God is intentional in the way that he does things. Now that might not seem a lot to you, but we're talking about 42 different generations split up into three equal groups of 14. 
You can't tell me that God does not pre-plan a little bit. It's fascinating. And when you look through these names, many of you probably just glazed right over because I do. In fact, I'm going I'm to tell a tale here. Not a tale, but I'm going to tell it myself. When we were studying this, the first time as we read through, we only found three ladies' names. Only three. And that's what we were basing my sermon on until I went back to study it some more and found another one. And then this morning, as I'm reading through to make sure I've got these names right, I found the fifth one. And you're thinking, oh, that's because you don't study well. You don't pay attention. No, God does it intentionally. Because so many times in our lives, there are things that are hidden that God wants to bring out. We just need to stay focused and wait until he brings it out. There's so many things about this genealogy. So let's, let's tear it apart because we all live in this area. We all are holding on to something that's defining us rather than being defined by being a follower of Christ. Amen? All right, so here's the thing. Five women are mentioned. All with interesting pasts. And by the way, there are plenty of men in there. If you go back and study a lot of these guys, a lot of these guys were not good men. They were just a little bit rotten. And a lot bit rotten for some of them. So again, not picking on the ladies, but most genealogies don't include the women's names. So why are they included? Is that not intriguing to you? Why would he include just these five women's names? Well, let's look at some of them. Tamar in Genesis 38. It's a phenomenal story. Tamar is married into this family of Judah. Mary's one of Judah's sons. That husband of hers passes away. And he, he asks her, Judah asks his daughter-in-law to go back home and wait until his next son is eligible to be married. Because that's how it worked. If in a large family, if, if um, I passed away and Sally's a part of my family, if I had a brother... In that culture, she would wait and marry that brother. He would take her as his wife. Why? I have no idea, but that's what they did. Probably to keep things moving along and to continue to keep true to the promise that I was going to take care of her, and so now my family is going to take care of her. Well, she goes back and then finds out that Judah is in town. Some time has passed. And she disguises herself... To the point that she's not recognized by Judah. And she tricks him into sleeping with her. And becomes pregnant. I'm trying to keep this as PG as I possibly can. But you can read it. It's in there. I promise. And so later on, he finds out. And takes the kid and raises him. Now, if I were to ask you. What do you think Jesus' genealogy would be like? Would you include that story? No! No way! That is horrible. One, that the dude just picking random people and sleeping with her. But that he couldn't even recognize his own daughter-in-law who he sent home to patiently wait to come back and marry his next son. There's a problem there. Guys, we got to pay attention. We got to do a better job at keeping ourselves pure. By the way, that's extra. And so we have Tamar. Tamar is listed. Why she is listed by name blows my mind. 
But I can see why, because we want to make sure that we know that our past may be a little dotted, our past may be a little sorted, our past may be a little troublesome, things totally out of our control, but it does not define my responsibility in serving God from here on out. Amen. I'll help you with that one. Jesus probably learned of this at some point in time. And it did not deter him from continuing to do what is right. No matter what your past is, no matter what has been attached to you by the world, by social media, whatever they're telling you that you should feel one way or the other, you better go to scripture and see what scripture says how you should feel about your walk with Christ. Because all this other stuff that is outside of my walk with Christ doesn't matter. I know some of y'all's wheels are turning, but Alan, you don't understand. You don't understand how I'm treated. You don't understand how I'm thought of. You don't understand what's happened to my family in the past. And you're right, I don't. I really don't. And I'm sure it is hurtful, and I am confident that it is hard to live through that. But folks, this trumps everything. All of it. It should not matter how much money you have or do not have. It should not matter where you live or what kind of house you have. It should not matter what clothes I wear or don't wear or what car I drive or don't drive or what job I have or the color of my skin. Now, I know. I know how hard that is to hear that. But let me tell you something. Christ died for all in order to adopt all into one singular family that is not defined by anything else but by his righteousness. And we have to be careful. There are things we should stand for and things that we should defend, but it should be through the guise and through the lens of Christ every single time. Tamar. Rahab, Rahab the harlot. If you don't know what a harlot is, ask your mom and dad. (laughs) You're welcome, parents. A harlot is nothing more than someone who gets paid to sleep with men. That's their job. That's their way of living. They just go around sleeping with people. And Rahab, in the midst of this um, pre-attack, on her city of Jericho, invites the children of Israel, the two spies that are coming to see how weak they are, how strong they are, to figure out what's the best mode of attack. She invites them into their home. Now, I've always been curious. Why do two spies from the children of Israel who are serving God go to the harlot's house? That's curiosity to me. Maybe she was the only one friendly enough to invite them in. Maybe... It was the term that was used for her past life and she had already given her life to the Lord because we know, based on her testimony, that the people of Jericho had already been scared to death of the children of Israel because of God. And so maybe in Rahab's heart, God had already been working on her and she had changed her life, but because of her past, it was still a little attached to her. And that is how we know her. And maybe that term is still there because when we look at the genealogy of Jesus, we see Rahab in there and we automatically know what type of lady she is and we think, how could God allow that to be in Jesus' genealogy? And that, if that is our question, that's the problem. Why wouldn't he? 
Why wouldn't he allow a great redemptive story to be a part of the greatest redemptive story? I love stories like that. It is sad that people get caught up in in different vices. But man, when they are saved and God restores them, how wonderful is that? What a story to tell. Not because of who they were, but because of who they are now. She lived in Jericho. And she knew it was coming. And God allowed her to be a part of the genealogy of his son. Ruth. Now Ruth isn't as bad. The biggest thing against Ruth was that she was a Moabite. They served other gods. But she marries into this family. And her husband passes. In fact, this other lady marries in and her husband passes These two brothers pass away and one goes back to her home country and the other stays with their mother-in-law. Ruth decides to stay with her mother-in-law and here's why. Because of the God that her mother-in-law serves. There was something about the way that her mother-in-law lived that was inviting to her to be interested in knowing about her God. And she tells her mother-in-law, she says, here's what I want. Whatever you guys are doing, that's what I want to do. However you're living, that's how I want to live. Whatever God you're serving, he's going to be my God. And she leaves her family the opportunity to go back and start a whole other life, knowing that she may never marry again. And she goes and she takes care of her mother-in-law from here on out. And unbeknownst to her, she began gleaning from this field of Boaz. And Boaz was a family member. And Boaz works it out to where he can marry this young lady. And what a great, again, redemptive story. And it is in the genealogy of Jesus. She was not a God worshiper. She didn't care anything about him until she was introduced to him. What a story to be included in a genealogy. Bathsheba. Just saying that name, we already know. But it's interesting because Bathsheba really, stay with me, didn't do wrong. The king sent messengers to her doorstep after she had been bathing on her rooftop, which, by the way, all the women did that. The king was in the wrong place at the wrong time because he should have been out in war, but he was on the rooftop. Why would you be on the rooftop if you knew all the women were bathing? Just saying. And he invites her over. Actually, he didn't invite her over. He sent his messengers to take her and bring her to him. Now, when the king comes knocking, you don't really have an option. He took her. And he slept with her, quite possibly against her will. And then he sent her back, and he finds out that she is pregnant with their son. And he devises this whole plan to bring Uriah, the Hittite, back. And Uriah is his best warrior. And two different occasions, he tries to get Uriah to leave the battlefield, to go back to his wife, to sleep with her, so that as she becomes more and more pregnant, everybody will know that Uriah came home, and that's what happens when you come home. But Uriah is such a man of integrity. 
He's a, he's a guy's guy. He's a guy for his men. He said, I can't go and sleep with my wife and stay at my home when my men are sleeping in tents and cots away from their own wives. I will not do that. On two different occasions he did that. And so David devises a plan. He sends a letter back to Uriah's leader and he says, put him in the hottest battle on the front line, which is a no-no with your major warriors. Because David knew exactly what would happen and what he thought would happen did. Uriah was killed. So let me ask you a question. When you see a statement like, she who was the wife of Uriah, what do you think God's trying to prove there? That in his eyes, what David did was wrong and that she will forever be yoked with Uriah. There's a reason that it's stated that way. Because in God's eyes, what David did was awful. And David paid a great price for that. Now maybe she could have fought back, maybe she could have refused. We don't know the whole story. But God, in his greatness, instead of calling her by name, he identifies her as the wife of Uriah. That's special. And it helps me when I see that because we thought right off the bat, whoa, she's so bad, he won't even call her by name. But he called Tamar by name. He called Ruth by name. What was the other one? I already forgot. Thank you. He called Rahab by name. So there's a specific reason why he's not calling Bathsheba by her name because he wants us to remember who she was before All of that took place. She was and will always be the wife of Uriah. And then Mary. We read all the way through that and forgot Mary. Mary. She is named in the genealogy of Jesus. Now, many of us think the world of Mary. That she's the the next best thing to slice bread. Like she's amazing. And she is. She is special in her own space. But what do you think people thought when this young lady was pregnant without even being known by her husband yet? Mm. I know what we think. And I would imagine it was way worse then. That was a huge no-no. So much so that Matthew wrestled with what to do. He didn't want to put her away. But the world, his own community, had created this environment that, look, if this happens, you can put her away and you're good. You can have her killed. And he was just going to put it away and just privately let her go about it and just move on. But God said, no, Joseph, wait. You don't understand what's happening here. The son that she is carrying is special. He's different. He is my son. I did this. Mary has been true to you, to her word. She is right on point. She knows no man. What has happened has been supernatural. I have done this. Please protect her. Stay with her. Watch over her. And so we see these five ladies 
in the genealogy of the greatest man that has ever walked the face of the earth. And why would God allow five tragic stories of women included in this when normally it was just the men? And the men, we don't even get to the men. But why these women? For me, I see it as an opportunity for us that are still holding on to things that really we should be processing through and getting to the place that we can see it through the lens of Christ as to who we are. Some of us need to start letting go of some stuff. Because if we do not, it will tear us apart. And I'm not interested in that. I love the unity that the church provides. But let me tell you something. As more and more disunity rises up outside of there, they're going to be finding a way to creep right in here. Which is why it is so important that we have hard conversations. We have conversations that are unpleasant. We address that weird uncle that's in the room. And we address the things that we know are coming at some point. And we have a heart-to-heart trying to hear and to listen, not just to be heard. I think a lot of times we do way too much talking and not near enough listening. I think there was a verse about that somewhere that talked about being slow to speak and quick to listen. Therefore, we are slow to wrath. I think that was in there somewhere. We know Jesus is amazing, right? I mean, that's why we celebrate this wonderful season. He knew where he came from. There's no way Jesus, obviously because he's God in the flesh, he knows all about his past. And I'm sure family, maybe as they're passing the genealogy down, are talking about it. I can't imagine what Matthew found as he's doing this genealogy work. He's thinking, Tamar, whoa, I know her. Rahab, Rahab's in there? Bathsheba? Think about that. And yet, every person in that genealogy is important. What has happened in our past is important, but it should not define where we're heading. He did not dictate or allow it to dictate how he lived. He just didn't. And so many of us do. You know, as I've grown up, there are things in my personality that I have really been challenged to work on because they weren't pleasant. They weren't pleasant to be around. But I could easily say, well, it's who my grandparents were. It's who my parents are. Therefore, it's just who I am. No, I'm a child of God. And because I'm a child of God, I need to give up anger. I need to get away from wrath and sinful desires and sinful pleasures. I need to get away from those things because, yes, that may be who I come from, but who I come from, I do not want to dictate where I'm going. I want Christ to dictate that for me. Jesus knew how to leverage the positives Always, anytime Jesus is dealing with people, we see it all the time. I think the, the, the story that comes to mind is the lady that was caught in adultery. He could, have, he could have had at her. I mean, she was caught in adultery, like in the act. They drag her out there, and Jesus could have absolutely said, you know what, what you're doing is wrong. That's one of the big ten, by the way. 
That's a bad idea. But what does he do? He leverages this awful, terrible point in this woman's life to use it as a positive. God sees this sordid genealogy of his son, who easily God could have made perfect. But he chose to let people be people and let it play out because every time something bad happened, there was a redemptive story that came right behind it. Why? Because they did not let their past determine where they were heading. And folks, in your life, you've got sorted past. You've got stuff that you're holding on to. One that was in your control. Two that was out of your control. And three things that happened so far away from us that we are still holding on to. And we're allowing those things to inform where we're heading. But may I challenge you this morning. Hold on to those things. Use them as you need to. But use them through the lens of what scripture teaches you. As to how you are to follow God and who you are in him. I know that's hard to hear. It's not pleasant. It's hard to say. But the reality is. I am not an American first. I'm a follower of Christ first. I just am. I'm I'm not a soccer player. Not anymore anyway. But I'm a follower of Christ first. I'm not just a dad or a husband or a pastor. I'm a follower of Christ first. And everything that I do inside of that only should count for Christ. Now, do I look back at the things that I've learned? Absolutely. And I leverage the positives out of those things, not the negatives. I just accept the fact that, yep, that was bad. That was awful. (laughs) There are lots of, listen, I could spend the rest of the day talking about this. There are lots of stories in my lifetime that I can look back and say, yep, I know what God was doing there. I absolutely fouled it up, but I leveraged it. He leveraged it for my positive to help me be better rather than the negative. Are we tracking it all? This is huge. This is really big. Because we can get stuck in a rut. We can get stuck in a space that will hamper us and hinder us from experiencing all that God has in the future. And it is imperative that we work through our past and leverage our past, whatever it is. For the positive, for the betterment, for the glory of Almighty God. And just accept the negatives. They are. You can't change them. People are people first. Right, Jim? Christians sometimes, and mature Christians, what is it, Jim? Maybe never. But it does not mean we do not strive for it. We leverage our past for the positives. We accept the things that we cannot change. And we look at it through the lens of Christ to see how he will use it for his glory. Just as Jesus was adopted into this lineage. You think about that. It's not Joseph's son. But Joseph accepted Christ. Think about that statement. As his son. Mary accepted the baby Jesus as the gift that he was. Charlie made a great observation on Monday. Those are the first two people who accepted Christ ever. It's a neat thought. 
But Joseph chose, knowing what his culture is going to say, to not worry about that. To not be defined by his culture, but to be defined by Almighty God as he pushed him forward. Please hear that, folks. Mary was not worried about what the culture was going to define her as because she knew what she was doing for Christ, for God, was special and it was right. And she knew that he would take care of it for her. Watch this passage. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Can I, let's just pause right there. Can you tell me in that statement, and I, I'm trying to really toe a line here that I'm not trying to be combative, but tell me in that statement, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God, tell me where it talks about money. Tell me where it talks about where you live. Tell me where it talks about the color of your skin. Can we please stop playing these games? Seriously. Led by the Spirit of God, you're a child of God. Done. That's it. That's how we are to live. That's how we are to focus our lives. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves. The Spirit that God gives us is not attaching us and holding us down because of the negatives of our lives. He is freeing us from those things that we will never live in fear again because of them. Amen, glory, hallelujah. There's lots of stuff that in my past haunt me, but in Christ, I have freedom from that. I'm no longer slaves to that. He says, rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. This was not meant for us. We are adopted in because of God's great love for us. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. But it goes on. It says this. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Listen, if you are warring in your spirit because of what the culture is saying and what you know the Bible says, you need to listen to the Spirit of God. Because he is the one that is guiding you to leverage the negatives or accept the negatives and to leverage the positives to be all that you can be for him. If there is a war in your spirit, you need to hit your knees and go to the word and go to him and find other like-minded believers that can help you walk this path. Careful what you hear outside of scripture. Now, if we are children, if you are truly a child of God, then you are heirs. You're an heir. I love how that sounds, man. I'm an heir. I have something to look forward to. I have something that I'm going to gain. I'm an heir and I did nothing for it. I'm a heathen. I'm a sinner. I was bound and destined for hell. But out of God's great mercy and out of a sordid genealogy, he brings about his son who lived a sinless life for you and for me, gave his life on the cross and was buried and then was resurrected to give us that hope of eternal life because of the spirit that lives within them. That's awesome stuff. And that same spirit can live within you. Heirs of God. I don't think we give that enough credit. God, almighty, the big guy, the man upstairs. Call him whatever you want. I call him God because he's pretty awesome. And that's his name. I think we should be careful when we get a little silly and slang with that. 
He sits on his throne, looking over all things. And you are an heir to the creator of all things. You're an heir. What he has to offer you is yours if you're a follower of God. Woo! That's awesome. But co-heirs with Christ. Now wait just a second. Christ, the one who lived the sinless life? Yeah. Christ, the one who died on the cross? Yeah. Christ, the one who was buried and rose again? Yeah. Christ, the one that's coming back to whip everybody someday? That's your big brother. That's your co-heir. And if we could ever get that in our mind, my past really doesn't mean a thing anymore. Because my past is now the past of Christ. His goodness and righteousness can now be mine. Because I am heirs with him to God. Heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So there's a little bit of a caveat. We get real excited about all that stuff, but then there's a little tag at the end that Paul throws in there. If indeed we share in his sufferings. Gotcha. I love scripture, but I hate it when God does that. But then I don't. Because it allows me to see that it's going to take a little bit. It's worth the effort to deny my own past, to deny the things that I want to hold on to, to deny the things that people want to hold over me and keep me down with. I can let those go and know that I can be in Christ all the way through. And that might hurt me a little bit because I like those things. They feed me. They give me something. Well, let me tell you, that same feeding and that same something, God's got 10 times better. And it's time we let go and allow his spirit to define who we really are. Our past, your past, does not predict your future. Our past does not predict our future. Think about that. We, we try to let it. We just assume, well, if that happened to them then, then it's automatically going to happen to me now. It doesn't have to. Please don't forget that people are people first and people are just mean and nasty and we live in an evil society that people are going to make bad decisions. But that should not determine what you do. What determines what you do should be the spirit that lives within you that makes you a joint heir with Christ, heirs to the throne of God. Let me have some questions for you. We're going to keep building on that main thought uh, through the next few weeks. But here's a couple of questions that I want you to think about as the praise team comes. Number one. What in your past is dictating your future? What are you holding on to that's keeping you in this spot? It may be a decision that you made a long time ago that you just haven't forgiven yourself. And it's time to do that today. It may be something that happened completely out of your control that you just haven't really let go of yet because you don't want to see it how God sees it. Because it feeds that drama within you. It feeds that anger. It feeds that angst. It is time to let that go. The spirit will war inside of you because that is against him. And maybe for some of us, for many of us, we are holding on to things 
that happened so long ago that are completely out of our control that it's hindering our vision of who we are in Christ. Number two, can you learn from your past to better your future? Can you leverage those positive things that happened in your past to help you to live better for Christ? hope so. But can you accept the negatives and leverage those as well to become positives in your life, to make you a better follower of Christ so that he gains the glory and not you? Can you learn from your past to better your future? And then lastly, it's a simple question. Have you been adopted into the family of God yet? Today could be your day. What a great way to start the Christmas season off, right? To say, you know what? I'm not a child of God yet. I've never accepted him. I've never given my life to him. Let me, let me tell you how simple this is. It's a simple statement. God, I recognize I'm a sinner and I need you. I am submitting all that I have to you and asking you to be Lord of my life. Is it? Wait, wait, wait. There's not like a five-step process? No. It is a simple statement to begin and it's a life choices from here on out through the lens of Christ and following the spirit that will inhibit your life. Let me pray for you this morning. God, I thank you for who you are. Thank you for the greatness of your word. Lord, what an interesting text to, to try to pound out. But God, even in the genealogy, the one things that we always try to avoid reading in scripture, there's so much in the genealogy of Christ that we can learn so much from it. And we can learn so much about you. So thank you for what you've done here today. Thank you for what you continue to do. I pray that as we sing, as we think, as we meditate on the the sermon and on the words and, and the questions, I pray that you would move in hearts. Lord, that your spirit would run free. That you would speak to those that are joint heirs with you and speak to those that aren't quite there yet. Draw them even closer than they ever have been before. Lord, we submit all of this to you in Jesus' name.